Welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, Megan Kinney. She is the author of the new hot off the press release, Dakota Courage, which is book two of Dakota Peace series. They're both available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. I was so excited when Megan reached out to me and asked if I would give an endorsement of this book. Let me tell you, I was so happy and ecstatic to do so. This book has everything you want. It has romance, suspense, redemption, healing, a little bit of grittiness, and you're going to definitely enjoy the story. I was very happy to give my endorsement. So make sure you go ahead, love on my sister, and pick up your copy of Dakota Courage today. I want to thank you all for your support of my newest release, A Chance for Genevieve. It's available exclusively on Amazon.com. Your response has been phenomenal, so thank you so much. And if you haven't had a chance to pick up A Chance for Genevieve, go ahead and download today. I think you'll like it. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash stuff. Let's see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, click on that pink follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, Megan Kinney. Megan, how you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me, Parker. I'm excited. And thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with me today. I never, ever take it lightly. And I'm so excited because we have an interesting story of how we met. And I want you to tell our listeners about it. We met in 2021, believe at the Wild Deadwood Reed book signing event that they have in Deadwood, South Dakota. This was my first time going. I had just My book had come out in the middle of the pandemic or right after, right before the pandemic started. This is my first big event and I was so nervous and I prayed that God put somebody next to me who was nice and encouraging and God put you next to me and I had so much fun. You were a blast to be next to and took my nerves away almost immediately. So it was a really fun time. It was so cool, too, because Megan had a lot of books that I didn't. It was my first event doing a book signing and book event like that. So I had only bought, what, 15, 20 books. Megan has like these giant totes of books selling her book. And I'm like, huh, she's selling her books. I'm selling my books too, but I assure you she's going to go home with more money than me. (laughs) So I was looking at, I did sell out yet, but I'm still was glad that we got a chance to 
sit next to each other and kind of hang out together. Since then, you were at Wild Deadwood Reads again this year, and you were there more so as a attendee, I think, because you were going around to different tables. Weren't yeah? But we had a blast. It was so cool seeing. I was like, oh my gosh, I know Megan. You know, so able to see, have a good time, chit chat, all that good stuff. And so now we are talking about the second book in your series. Because at the event, you were selling the first book in the series called The Code of Peace, which has this phenomenal cover, which, you know, I'm really big about covers and making sure covers look very attractive as possible, especially in a industry that is saturated with books every single day. So you want to give yourself an advantage. But now we're at the second book in the series called The Code of Courage. Can't wait to delve into it with you. But before I do that, you are a new contributor to Write Stuff. So go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a mother of four daughters. I homeschool my three youngest. My oldest one has already graduated from high school. My husband has been a state trooper for 19 years. And so a lot, there is some law enforcement in my first book, quite a bit of it, not so much in the second. And I was a foster mom for about 11 years. And so my first book has a lot of about foster care as well. So try to put a lot about my life into my books. I have grown up in South Dakota, in the Black Hills of South Dakota, which is only about 20 minutes away from Mount Rushmore. And so that's also where my setting is, is in Western South Dakota as well for both novels. And what I loved about being in South Dakota was the scenery. We went for a drive on our way to the smallest airport I've ever seen in my life. And we were there. And as you're passing and going down the highway, you see these beautiful mountains and hills. You see all this lush greenery and shrubbery. And you see just this beautiful sky, this absolutely blue, just beautiful scenery in South Dakota where I was at. And so to take your hometown, which is already so lovely, and put it in the story, I really think that gives a book really great authenticity as that flavor to it, because you're going to view the town or your state because you love where you live. And you also mentioned about being a foster mom and being a foster mom, God love you, because it is a difficult job. What were some of the life lessons you learned about faith being a foster mom? Takes a lot of faith. We, I was on my knees a lot while we were doing foster care. We took in kids that were from zero to three usually because we had an older daughter. Make sure that the oldest, and we wanted to her as much as possible. But we loved on these kids. It was amazing. We eventually adopted three girls, three sisters to foster care, and there were some rough roads. I think we're doing really well now, but we reached out. And I think one of the biggest lessons I learned is that God gave us people for a reason and that we need to reach out to other people going through the same things that we are. So I had foster parents who had already been through the things that I had been that helped me and and showed me different resources, different counseling venues, different places that I could get the help that I needed for my foster kids and for my adopted kids. And so we're doing really great now, but there were some rough roads along the way and we got to love on so many kids. I have not counted how many, but I know it's about 50 or a little bit more than that, that we've had come in and out of our house. And we really have enjoyed each child that came and it was a blessing to be able to be, to use our home in that way and to be able to love these children when they needed to place a safe place to be. 
Amen. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I've had another guest on this show, and she was also a foster mom. And she said somewhere upwards of maybe 100 children that they had going back and forth in their house for many years. So definitely understand where you're coming from there. So now you are having these kids, you know, your own and the adopted kids and all that good stuff. And now you suddenly decide to write. What did that journey to writing look like for you? So I've always loved writing. And ever since I was in the second grade, I still remember a paper that I turned into my teacher and I it was a story and I loved that. So I love to write. And I remember when I was pregnant, almost 20 years ago, I wrote my first novel and tried to get it published and it was rejected. And so I took some classes and kind of tried half-heartedly to write. And then we got into foster care and was so overwhelmed with taking care of kids that that was kind of my focus for a long time. And then when all my kids were in school, they were all in grade school. And I'm like, I have all this free time. I really want to focus on writing. That's important to me. And it's something that I've always dreamed of doing. And we had a police shooting. We have a smaller town, so it doesn't happen very often, but we had uh, two police officers that were shot and killed in my town, which hadn't happened in my husband's whole career. And that really bothered me. And so I wrote a book about a dispatcher struggling with having to dispatch an officer being shot and killed. And that was my first book. And I, it was more for me, it was a therapy because I needed to have some closure over the whole, what was that, what I was feeling at the time as an officer's wife. And I wanted to go to a writer's conference. I'm like, that was one of my goals that year. So I went to a writer's conference and I had to pitch a book because I wanted to practice. I'm like, I'm just going to practice. I just want to soak up as much information as I can and practice pitching it to different editors and publishers. And I pitched it to a publisher and an editor, not realizing that they worked together and they both loved it. And then a few months later, they offered me a contract. So that was really amazing to me, especially with a book that meant so much to me because it was written on such a personal level. I love to hear the stories about how writers came to be and what are those major events that actually spur you on to not just hoping to be a writer or wanting to be a writer but to actually actualize your dream and become an author. And I like hearing those stories. I did have to laugh when you mentioned about that you had given to your teacher when you were in second grade. I also have a vivid memory of when I was in second grade and we used to have to recite poetry every week. And so I had learned a poem from a book my grandmother gave me called The Children's Illustrated Book of Fairy Tales and whatnot. And in the book, there is a poem that said, the queen of hearts, she made some tarts all on a summer day. Something of hearts stole the tarts and took them clear away, something like that. And so I had told that poem to one of the students in my class. I just recited the poem one time. Do you know she stole my poem, recited it to my teacher and got credit for that? And it wasn't quite plagiarism because it was a poem that someone else wrote, but that was my introduction to plagiarism. And I nearly died. I was in second grade about to murder this child who stole the poem from my homework assignment. And I'm sitting there going, I can't believe it. And what had happened because she stole my poem, she ended up 
that semester coming in with more poems than I did. One poem more. And I was sitting there like, but she stole my poem. (laughs) So yeah, I had my early, early experience with plagiarism. (laughs) I was in second grade. Yeah, sorry about that. I totally went down the wrong (laughs) memory lane here. We're supposed to be talking about your book. But as soon as you said second grade, that just blew up the circuits there. (laughs) (laughs) All these years later, still affects you. Years later. And now I would never hope to plagiarize anyone's work. (laughs) It's just like, maybe that had to happen, even though I was seven. Maybe that had to happen. So later on, when I would become this thing called me, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) So yeah. But Let's go ahead and delve into Dakota Courage because there's a lot going on. But I do think we do see need to talk about the connection to the first book in the series, Dakota Peace, and just where they have that synchronization at. They're not completely connected, but, you know, just a bridge there. Yes. So the in the first book, Dakota Peace, there is a foster parent, uh, husband and wife, who have a little Native American, our Indian Child Welfare Act. In, in South, there's rules about Native American children, and there's a huge that goes through. Actually, in Dakota Peace, there are uh, the two fox parents. They have a uh, Native American little boy. He's three years old. And because of the In Child Welfare Act in South Dakota, there's rules about who can adopt American kids, and there's a process you have to go. And in this book, they weren't allowed to adopt their foster child. So they decided to kidnap him. And so she, for kidnapping her foster, her name is Mary, and Mary Russell served her time for her part in kidnapping. And, um, but she lost, she has now, so she's lost her job as an art teacher and she's trying to make a new life for her in Sturgis, Dakota. She's an antique store that she's running and, just trying to put her life back together. And so that's where this starts is with her in this deep store after she's changed her name, trying to start a new life there. Oftentimes when you're forced to, when you do something you're not supposed to do, even if you have the best interests at heart, it does not always come out the right way, you know? And so in this story, she's trying to move on. What is the object lesson you think you want the readers to pick up about, hey, I did something wrong. I did something I was supposed to do, even though it wasn't the best possible intention. But now I have to pay the consequences for that. What are some of the object lessons you want the reader to pick up from it? Yeah, I think the biggest one is she actually takes responsibility for her actions. She knows that what she did was wrong and that by her actions caused, instead of being able to keep the child, not only did she lose the child, but she caused harm to him. And so she sees that the consequences of her actions, though at the time she thought she was doing him a favor, really in the end, she ended up hurting him. And so to be able to look down the road to the consequences of our actions and to realize that if we take responsibility for our actions and that's when we can start to heal as well and that's a big thing for her is that she took responsibility for it she wasn't trying to while she changed her name and she changed her location she still realizes that that's a part of her life and that she is responsible for it and she wants to make a new choices that better her life and not continue to dwell on the mistakes that she made in the past 
So let's talk about the hero of our story here. If you were going to describe him, what would be some of the best words to describe him? His name is Judah. He's very considerate and just a kind person. He's a surgeon at the local veterans hospital there. And in in Sturgis, South Dakota, that's the setting for this book. And he's just kind and he's a protector. He wants to protect Elaine. He wants to, he has a daughter uh, who's about five years old. He wants to protect her. And he wants to protect the girls that Elaine is helping as well. Because she ends up helping who is escaping from human trafficking. And so he is very much a protector. One thing about human trafficking that is actually quite alarming is even though so many people are more aware of it now than ever, it's still happening. And it's happening over a frightening number of women just being caught in human trafficking. And so when you use this book to show a spotlight on these things, do you want readers to just be aware of what's going on around them. Be prayerful too, because the spiritual warfare thing too. So just tell us a little about that. Yes. The setting of the novel is in Sturgis, South Dakota during our annual Sturgis bike rally. And that brings in about 400,000 people to the area, mainly bikers. And with that, it brings in human traffickers who are bringing in girls to be trafficked. And and so that's a huge issue in our area, not just during the bike rally, but uh, specifically during the bike rally, it is. And I do want people to be aware that it's going on and to and to more than just be aware, but be aware of the signs, because there are signs that you can see that there's something just not right. If you see a girl and she doesn't make eye contact and, and there's so many different signs that you can be aware of. And, you know, call law enforcement and say, you know what, I'm just nervous about this situation. I saw this girl. She doesn't look like is she safe and they can just do a welfare check and make sure. But in the book, that's one of the things that Elaine does is she starts to research human trafficking. We have a West River Human Trafficking Task Force and a web page and has tons of information on it. And so she starts to research that. So in the book, as she's learning, readers can learn, too, of what the signs are and to be more aware of their surroundings and what they see around them so that they can, if you see something, say something. And so that was important to me that what she was learning that the readers can also learn about human trafficking, because it is a huge issue, not just in this area and many areas, but I live in a small area and it can be pretty awful here too. Well, here in Michigan, we have a huge number of huge trafficking because we're right next to the border here in Detroit. We're right next to the Canadian border. So they can take the girls that kidnap and send them across the border, okay? And they're in another country. So yeah, I'm very glad that you did that. And that's what I like about your book is that even though it does have the, the romantic elements in there and it does have the thrill elements, you also want to educate because as Christians, we're supposed to be involved. You do want to do your part and be prayerful. And I will always tell people, pray over your children, pray over your children's friends, pray over your cousins, your family, have the angels of the Lord protect them too. And so in this story, there's a big reveal that comes up a little bit later in the story. And we won't go into what the reveal is, but, and it's major, because there are a few times in the story, I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Were you shocked? Yes, I was. And I know our listeners are like, you guys aren't being fair. No, we're not being fair, because we definitely want you to pick up your copy of Dakota Courage, which is available online or wherever books are sold. So 
the big reveal here really kind of shifts your whole understanding of the story until then. And that's what I love about your writing is that it has the unexpectedness to it, you know. And but I think that's a reflection of life, wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely. And then I know some of this came from the fact that your husband is part of law enforcement and you want to make sure that, hey, law enforcement isn't always <laughs> what's being depicted on the media. And I know I'm saying this a bit, with a lot of trepidation here because you see these videos of law enforcement who abuse their power. And then everyone's like, well, if they let the guy abuse his power, then he's just as much part of the problem as the person who's abusing the power. So what would be your ask of listeners as they see media about law enforcement officers who are abusing their power? What would be your ask of them as someone who's the wife of one? I have several, but the first one that comes to mind is to be careful what you see as a video, because a lot of times you see just a snippet of what happened and make a huge judgment on what's just a small part of a varied video. The second part is, is that to give it time, investigations take, my husband's actually a crime scene investigator. So like he makes forensic maps. And so if there's a, like an officer involved shooting, he'll go and make a forensic map of it. Well, he actually spends, I bet they spend hours and hours. It could take over a month to do a full investigation and find out what really happened. Um, and so sometimes you just have to be patient and wait and find out what the end results are, what the facts are, what are the, what did they, the conclusions they came up with? Because it's interesting because he uses so much fact-based. I mean, he's doing physics and he, I mean, I can't even, I don't even understand half of it. He's got a, a he's got his mechanical engineering degree. And so, um, so it's all so technical. Um, and so, but I think sometimes what you see is so emotional and like my husband, who's an investigator, they take out the emotions and just look at the facts and start looking at, okay, what did he do? And then you have officers who really um, are in a job that they can't handle anymore. It could be because of PTSD, um, so many issues that could cause it. Maybe he's gotten away with too much for too long or she, um, and or they just make a rash decision and it was the wrong decision and they do need to be held accountable. And most of the time they are held accountable, but it just takes time because they, they have the, they do have the right to have their time in court as well and to have the investigation come out as well. I think there's so many emotions around it and, and, it, and there should be, I mean, they need to be held accountable when they make a wrong action. Um, and so I think that's really important is to just wait and let, let the time go by, but, and to also realize that police officers really do need um, mental health. And it doesn't matter if it's just a cumulative stress that they've been through or if it's, they've been through a huge trauma. I think we need to shift. And I, and I do think that um, law enforcement agencies are working on this. There needs to be more work done, but they are working on shifting and making mental health a priority, which is something that it never used to be. If you went to counseling, you were considered weak and you could not get promoted. And I mean, all this stuff could happen because you went and put your mental health as a priority. Um, so that needs to change and it is shifting. So that's really neat to see. My husband actually has done quite a bit with officer wellness. Um, he's helped start a program, start the program here. And he goes to actually, he was just last weekend was uh, at a conference for officer wellness. And so it's really important that, officers get that 
uh, mental health that they need. And there's so many great programs out there for police officers who are struggling with trauma. But I would imagine that most of the officers that that do cause abuse their power or have problems, they're usually my guess would be there's some mental health or some PTSD issues going on in that police officer's life and they need to be removed and they need to get help and, and they need to have more peer. I'm, this is something I'm really passionate about as you can tell, but they need to have more peers that are involved. I know in South Dakota, the South Dakota Higher Patrol has a peer team too, that are watching out for their peers as well. And they've been trained on what to look for, and what to see and so that they can help them process things and get them the help that they need when they need it. Well, no, I'm glad that you mentioned it because it's such a vast topic and very much a hot button issue, especially when you see some of these cases and the way they're treated so horrifically. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm on the outside looking in and this officer looks like a complete jerk or he's a whatever. And then that doesn't happen. So that's why I want you to talk about it. I didn't mind you taking that time to talk about it because it's interwoven in your books as well, this understanding from being a spouse of a law enforcement officer. So that's why I wanted to have that there too. And then of course, we're going to have this wonderful story. And I know this book just came out, so we haven't had any reviews yet, but what has some early beta reader responses been to your story? You know, I loved it, but what has been some of the other responses too? Yeah, I've gotten some really great responses that they couldn't put it down. I had a People saying, well, thanks a lot. I'm not getting any sleep because I started it and just that it's riveting and exciting, which I love to hear because sometimes when you get to writing and editing it so much, you, it loses its excitement. It's like, is it still exciting? Are people still engaged in it? And so it was really fun to hear that they were engaged in it and excited. And my mom said it was even better than the first one. So that's kind of nice. Well, moms had better say it's better than the first one. She had better say, if you don't have any support, at least mom gives you the support, you know. My mom, I love her to death. And she thinks my first book is the best book that was ever written on the face of the planet. And when I look back on it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. (laughs) But she's supposed to think that way. And so, Megan, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. In the few moments that we have left, go ahead and share with us your social media outlet. Well, I am on Facebook at Megan Kinney Author and on Instagram at Megan uh, Megan Kinney underscore author. And um, and then my website is MeganKinney.net. Oh, and then I can I tell you about my newsletter as well? Please do. On my website, there is a place to sign up for my newsletter. And if you sign up, you get two free novellas. One is the childhood story of Travis Wilkins, who's the state trooper in the first book. And then the second one is just a sweet little romance story about a couple in Alkaline, which is a fictional town in Dakota Beach. In the few moments we have left, I always like to give our guests the opportunity to encourage those aspiring authors out there whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. So go ahead and encourage them out there today. My biggest encouragement is that you want to write to just never stop learning. There's so many amazing books out there that will help you and to to welcome feedback from other people. That was really hard for me at first, but it has made my writing so much better. And to seek out other authors that can encourage you. Uh, go to conferences. I love going to writers' conferences. 
going to book signings, even if you're there just to find books. You can meet authors there. And usually they're super encouraging, especially to aspiring writers. But never give up. Always keep learning and meet other people. Megan, thank you so much for being with me today. Really enjoyed having you. We can't wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you. I'm really excited. I'd love to come back. I'm working on my next novel, so hopefully soon. And we were talking today to Megan Kinney. She is the author of the Hot Off the Press release, Dakota Courage, book two of the Dakota Peace series. He wants you to go ahead, click on that link and buy your copy today. You're definitely going to enjoy it. And to get a more taste of this series, pick up the first book in this series, simply called Dakota Peace. I like what Megan said about writing. I love what she said about law enforcement. I love what she said about just her whole interview today. She really gave you nuggets of wisdom. Are you sitting down on the gift that God gave you and not using it? Don't do that anymore. Pick up the pen and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. And you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.